on this episode of Business Interrupted. In the private sector, you can always have another customer. You can always go to another particular organization that either your competitors can fulfill. At the port, it's really hard to go from the port of Long Beach to, say, another port. And the domino effect that we have downstream worldwide in the supply chain, as you're seeing now, is a big impact. And it does change people's lives. It does change people's viewpoint in regards to how we do business moving forward. And that challenge is is there for me and the rest of the people that work at the port, but really is a challenge that we welcome because we know at the end of the day, it's something that is definitely very critical as far as critical infrastructure. But we do take pride in what we do and we understand that if we're not and we fall asleep on the wheel, it could have significant impact, not only here locally, but throughout the world. Business as usual is challenged every day. It's not about if disruption occurs, it's when. On this original show from Castellan Solutions, we're learning from the world's best leaders, so you can be ready for whatever comes next. I'm your host, Cheyenne Marling. As supply chains around the world experienced increased interruptions, the strain has been felt heavily in U.S. shipping ports. With hundreds of ships waiting just offshore, the pressure to maintain continuity continues to increase and failure will have global consequences. Eddie Galang is the Chief Information Security Officer at the Port of Long Beach. In the wake of the pandemic, Eddie was challenged not only with keeping his team members safe, but protecting the port from threats and maintaining operations remotely. Instead of stepping down, he stepped up and helped the port set record highs in volume over the last year. In this leader's episode, Eddie breaks down his approach to continuity planning and shares how his team deals with the pressure of maintaining a crucial link in the world's supply chain infrastructure. For those that were there during 9-11, I was first starting in really a management role in 9-11, when I say that in the civilian world. That was a turning point for many that are professionals in any organization. But I think for me, I don't know too many. And we can say based on March you know, of 2020, you look at it, I was a CISO during a pandemic and the struggles and challenges that we had to get everybody connected, collaborate. Traditionally, the port is an on-prem enterprise. And yes, technology, we can do remote, but for the most part, we have business processes that do not work well. So... It was a challenge to get everybody when we decided to go ahead and displace from our facilities in March, early March, and go remote. The challenges of not only getting connectivity, because that was really the key for people is, let me get connected, let me continue business and such. But for me as a, as a CISO, how do we do that securely? Given the fact that people did not have laptops, did not have this, and we had to get people moving. And I, I can tell you, it was a yeoman's job for everyone in the port, not just in IT, but it, it really throughout the port to continue to do without flinching at all. There was not even a blip in regards to, at least from a supply chain, from our customers and such. It did not measure. Matter of fact, we increased volume and set record. The port's been in, in business since 1911. We've had record numbers since pandemic, and, and we were worried that, is this going to stop? Is this going to die down just because of the pandemic? No, it continued to increase, and it continues to increase today. And if you can see the harbor now, 
with all those ships out there. There was a report this morning about 200,000 containers out there. We have a lot of ships. It looks like the 405 freeway uh, uh, in rush hour traffic here in Southern California. And it has a perception in regards to what is the port doing, whether it's us or the Port of LA. We're the top two largest ports in the U.S. We're, what, number 17, 18 in, in the world. We are a big port and we are the gateway to Asia. We're a gateway essentially to all places, all ports, all things uh, where goods and services have to go through. And quite honestly, if we stop, I don't want to say life stops, but a lot of things do have an impact and a domino effect throughout. Yeah. And it's interesting because we've seen these boats piling up in the ocean for months, for months, probably about a year now, but it's gone significantly worse. So I'm curious to know, obviously you mentioned that the port of Long Beach, the second largest port in the U.S., it's right next door to the port of Los Angeles. So you guys are right on top of each other and that congestion and you're staying open 24-7. What is the impact? And first, I want to focus on you being the CISO. How have you had to pivot in trying to accommodate any changes? And then I understand that obviously you're not, quote unquote, with the supply chain, but what are you seeing from a CISO perspective and then across the port? We're a landlord port, right? We have tenants and we provide them the and lease the space there to go ahead and be able to do their operations, port operations. And whether it's coming from trucks to rail, et cetera, it's constant movement of container ships throughout. We safely get them into the harbor and get them into one way or the other. And then from there, the operations start. And quite honestly, our impact, our tenants there is that we can at least do our part in getting them to the port. And then from there, they do their operations. The problem we have, and, and from a CISO perspective, is this is our bread and butter in regards to what we do. And like you said, we're running 24 by 7. For me as a CISO, I look at it and this is the an ideal time for a threat actor to be able to exploit and, and really take advantage of the situation at hand. Most threat actors, they look at any openings, any potential break in what they can to exploit your current process, whether it's stalling, whether it's disrupting, whether it's actually essentially diminishing your capacity to do your job and, and complete the business process, they will exploit. And we are in a constant guard, not only from a logical perspective, but also from a physical perspective. And so we have a security services division that really handles a lot of that in regards to making sure the, the facilities, access to those facilities are not disrupted by any unauthorized personnel. For us on the logical side, from a cyber perspective, we really make sure that anything that hits any of our core applications that help with that process within the port are maintained and we are vigilant in making sure that we always have eyes on glass seeing potential threats or trends that we're seeing. And this is how we do it and how I do it, is belong to a lot of consortium of CISOs that really talk. We get advanced warning, maybe even faster than most intel comes out, whether it's on a product or even a subscription in regards to threat intel. And so we do share as much as possible because, and what's pertinent, right? It, it has to be applicable to you. And how we do that and how we share that information is really what we try to leverage. Time is of the essence for us. And so the faster we can get some intel in regards to a potential threat, we'll pay dividends in the end for us. We are not reactive. We have measures there to, that 
essentially take a defensive posture and make it offensive. And so we do the utmost. And, and my goal is always to make the port disappear from the threat actor, not in a literal sense, but really just making sure that we have enough time to be able to address any issues. So thinking through that from a workforce perspective, how is it impacting within your core group and then across the organization? I think from my immediate group and essentially within the division, as far as IT, our group is there definitely just like any other organization where we lack resources and such, turnover, retirement, everything else you can think of, it's being managed accordingly. But with the pandemic, we are mandated to go ahead and have our vaccine. We were definitely considered critical or essential workers and such. So we had our vaccine when we needed to as early as possible for us and really we closed down the port and we have not officially opened back up as far as our buildings, because again, we're still looking at not only the pandemic, but also the, the variant and, and such that it's going through. And right now we are at least tentatively still scheduled to come back. And I'll say, I don't want to say repopulate because there's people there working. So it's really just reoccupying back on certain areas. But for the most part, I think we were planning in January, 2022. But that's still uh, not a solid date because the situation could change in regards to pandemic or anything else that may occur. So we're still looking at that. I th but I think if you look at the port traditionally, it was an on-prem. I believe a lot of the input and how we were successful being remote and, and, and being able to still perform our functions accordingly. And these are all different areas. I'm sure there's exceptions to some of the, the different areas within the port, but for the most part, we did a very good job working remote. So I, I believe we're going to be moving towards a hybrid. And so I, I think we don't know the details to that yet, but I think it's going to be appropriate for us to be able to do that. So you've been remote this entire time. Have you gone back to the port at all since COVID? Yeah, I've had, I can probably say I've been back since we went over a year already, probably about 12 times to my office for one need or another, I had to go down there and, and do that. But there's people that have been there, but it's a more of a, a not everyday kind of situation, but there's definitely people there, but not at full capacity. So if you look at it, we moved into our new building along with the city in July of 2019. I spent more time at home than I have been in my building. There's some challenges there. I'm a people type person. And so the human interaction virtually is very different from, and me being in IT all these years, I was used to that piece no matter what. We, so it was part of our regimen in regards to being able to, to telecommute every once in a while. But to this, for just because of the pandemic, the way it is, it, it's been a game changer in regards to a different way of looking things and how to be able to operate. And so I think the challenges are really just to, what I took pride in is when we're on-prem, I like to walk around and be able to talk and converse with people just to get a sense of the pulse of the organization. And this is not just within my group, but with other different areas throughout the enterprise. And for me, that's how I get my understanding of what I need to do. If there's things that I can, I, I need to concentrate on a little bit more as a CISO, I get that with that human interaction, physically on-prem kind of being able to talk to people and converse. The virtual and technology of the world, the way it is with this transformation, it's great, but it doesn't count for the live interaction. And so that is definitely very missed. Getting to the supply chain, I mean, obviously, even bringing the boats in, there's no one to take the product or the containers because from a trucking perspective, the railroad, the warehouses, everything is just 
the lack of workforce, product. The pandemic did, definitely did not help. You have stevedores, you have crane operators, you have everybody that's in part of this process of onloading, offloading goods out of those containers, putting those containers, being able to go ahead and, and put them onto the trucks or rail. Every single piece of that, all the way to the warehouses and distribution centers, have an impact just because of COVID. Uh, I'm not solely saying that's the only problem, but there is definitely a shortage in whatever shape or form it's materializing. It's affecting any little chink in there. So regardless, and I say this and I'm looking at it because it's not just a, it's not a single point of failure. This is where it is. And you fix this failure and, and, and it fixes the rest of the process. Even if you can get these goods off these ships, all these container ships, the truckers and everything else, the transportation back to wherever they, their final destination or even a distribution center, there's a shortage there. So it's only going to bottleneck all the way through. For me, the problems that are happening as part of the supply chain, and again, I'm sure people are working really hard to try to figure out a solution or solutions to alleviate some of this. Every single analyst, every single report that you see out there is saying it's well beyond 2022 in regards to getting this thing fixed, but you have to find a solution one way or the other, or else, like they've already said it already, a lot of the companies that really, let's say, are dependent on those goods coming into their warehouse to distribute are already being now logistics experts because they never thought they had to do this really track container where, et cetera, et cetera, just along the lines of that piece. And they've now had to rely on being experts themselves just to get goods out there and seeing what they have on their inventory and then be able to say, how do we make compensate for our stuff being four months, six months, eight months behind? And then from there, go in and try to facilitate whatever that order may be. And so it's really taking a toll. And again, I think hopefully you have enough smart people out there to go ahead and be able to find solutions out there that can at least alleviate some of this and at least get us back to somewhat normal. And pending any other issue other than that pandemic and labor shortage, hopefully we can get through this and at least see these things going out to the intended uh, recipients out there. And I was also thinking the fact that you have so many tenants as a part of the Port of Long Beach that... If their clients or their customers are looking for alternate places to send their goods, other ports, so that's going to impact your tenants. It's, again, it's a snowball effect. It's a snowball effect that you're right. There's not just like one piece that needs to be fixed. It's multiple layers in the process. Yeah, it's hard to take a container ship and reroute them somewhere else where that somewhere else is still booked the same way you are. It's not going to do any good. And again, the transportation coming off the ports, whether it's by rail or by truck, it depends on where the final destination of that particular container is going. And quite honestly, the routes that all these ships take are basically based on what they have and, and, and their normal operation. And really, like I said, we're number two port in the U.S. If we're busy... Believe me, if you think the other ports, maybe they may be smaller than us, they are busy and stacked as well. And they don't have as much real estate as we do. Again, it's trying for all ports throughout the world, not just in the U.S. And again, goods need to travel. They need a, a, a process to facilitate the, the offloading, onloading, and, and eventually getting it to the final destination. With so many twists and turns throughout his long career, I asked Eddie what advice he would give to his younger self. Here's his answer. I was very fortunate to have some very good mentors that I've incorporated some of, I'll call it my playbook, throughout. I took every bad and turned it into a solution one way or the other. I took every good thing that happened 
and learn from it and incorporate it as part of and customize it in my own way to just be part of my portfolio of things to do and how I do it. If I see up and coming, and I've had this conversation with a few uh, of my friends that, that either had worked for me in the past and, and I was able to at least pass on some knowledge in, in regard to that and to further their career. And my whole point was if any, if I had any part in their success in one way, shape or form, getting to where they wanted to go, I'm happy. I don't need to get credit. I just, I'm glad I was at least part of that. I believe that for any up and coming CISO starting, wanting to get into this field and really want to take ownership of the, this immense responsibility for an organization as far as keeping their data secure. This is an old adage. You surround yourself with very good people. You cannot do this on your own. One person is not as good as 20, 30, 40 different eyes. And have some humility. There are people much smarter than you are. I learned that very easy when I was in the military. There's always somebody bigger, stronger, smarter, that kind of stuff. And so I just take off and feed off of that and be able to really leverage that. I, I really do think that you have to listen to your staff. You have to listen to the people that know. And and, and now that doesn't mean you're just going to go ahead and, and, and delegate down. You need to effectively be able to push back. And how do you do that is to keep in tune with what you know in your industry, latest, the certain technologies that are out there. Because at the end of the day, you are still managing and making decisions on behalf of the organization. You do surround yourself with very smart engineers and analysts and staff that are there to help facilitate that whole protecting of the organization. And I think you do have to lean on these really talented professionals. And it doesn't matter what age, because I have some fantastic engineers that are very young. I've never seen this level of expertise. When I was going, I thought we floated on water and basically did all this stuff. These guys are fantastic. And what they lack in, I'll say in their age, they make up in their ability to reason and, and be able to take essentially clay and, and mold it to something with a solution. And so I'm very lucky to have had throughout my career, very good staff. And I'm not just saying that just to say, I've had some bad ones too. Don't get me wrong. We just parted ways and that was good. I was okay. But at the end of the day, I'm very happy that I've surrounded myself with very talented people and fortunate enough to have worked with them for the betterment of the organization we were at the time. And right now I'm privileged to have such engineers like that, not only in my group, but throughout the organization, because I, I think we have a common purpose in regards to what we do at the court. And, and, and so I think we all believe in that. And I think it rains down from the executive management of what that vision is. I have very good support in regards to what I do. And so I think it, it is really, really key. Thanks for listening to this episode of Business Interrupted. I'm Shia Marling for this leader's episode. To get more insights and resources, check out the show notes or head over to castellonbc.com and follow along wherever you get your audio.